to the Lord. Amen. I had that scripture going around in my head uh, that Josh started to share in 1 Corinthians verse 26, chapter 1. So I'm going to read it. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that's what we've been hearing today, isn't it? And that only comes when we understand how much we've been forgiven. When we understand the depths of what God has really done for us in the message of the cross. And that's why the Apostle Paul says this in the next few verses in chapter 2. He says, brethren... When I came to you, I'm not coming with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, because I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, I could add in there with jokes and all kinds of things to tickle your ears and good oratory skills. I mean, go on and on and on there. But you get what he's saying. Because he says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith shouldn't be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's my prayer this morning. As we look at the topic we're going to be looking at, which is the nature of sin, the true nature of sin. And we're going to see why Jesus talked about sin the way he did. We're going to see why it is so important for us to understand the true nature of sin so that our glory alone is in Christ Jesus. And this is what He's driving home, really, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to these Pharisees who didn't see the depths of their own depravity and sinfulness inside. Again, remember that just totally focused on the outward. So we're going to start here in Matthew 5, verse 27, with just another example of this. Let's pray before we start. Lord, I thank you this morning that you're here with us. It's so encouraging to see the Holy Spirit working in our midst, speaking, doing things, Lord, that only you can do, knowing the things you know. 
And Lord, I pray you would just continue to have your way to say the things you want to say. Lord, help me to get out of the way. Help my own thinking to get out of the way. I pray the Holy Spirit would convey what you want to convey to our hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to receive things of the Spirit. Not just an intellectual teaching. God, we need your word to go in us. We need it to accomplish something in our hearts. Because your word is powerful. It's not a dead letter. It's living. It's spirit. There's life in it. So God, I pray you would life us according to your word this morning. Speak to us, Lord, your words of life. Anoint the word to bring forth what you desire in all of us this morning. And I trust you to do that. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 27. I'm going to read through verse 30. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So again, he starts off, you have heard. In other words, what you have been taught by the Pharisees' interpretation of my law, because it was his law, really, I am saying this to you. And the reason why he's saying this is because they missed the whole point of the law and the weightier issues of the law, which was the heart. And really what he was doing was showing them and us the true nature of sin. That it's not just outward things we do. It's not just things we do. It's a lot deeper than that. It, it's so deep, the only thing to remedy it was the cross. And that's what we were singing about today. That's what we're rejoicing. Because it's real to us. Lord, thank you. Those that understand the depths of sin and how it just permeates everything we were and still can ha- he, uh, wreak havoc in our lives, in those around us. But yet, glory in the cross and the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we get it. The worship now is out of the reality of that. And that's what you heard this morning. That's what you heard expressed this morning. That's what causes us to love God with all our hearts, minds, and strength. That's what causes us also to hate sin. 
because we understand its true nature. So again, it's not just a matter of deeds. It's something within the heart that leads to action. So we could say it this way, sins are like symptoms of a disease. Now the problem with disease is it doesn't always look the same. It could be just as deadly, but yet have different symptoms. One person could be gasping for air on an oxygen thing and in pain, and we look at them and we think, boy, they're really ill. They must not have much longer to live. But then there's another guy walking around, he's fine. But he's got something going on inside that's a ticking time bomb that's not giving any symptoms. You know, like maybe a, an aneurysm. Ready to burst. Same thing, just as deadly, right? Just different symptoms. And we tend to do that with sin, you know? Some, something, oh yeah, that guy, he's in trouble. And then there's the other person, they don't look so sinful. Or they're not doing things maybe, at least outwardly, that seem so sinful, but they're worse off. They have a cancer inside that no one can see. And it's eating them up alive inside. And it's causing death inside of them. And they think they're fine. This is what Jesus is dealing with. When he says, you have heard, but I'm telling you. And he says it out of pure mercy and love. We have to understand it because he understands sin's nature better than we do. Sin uh, is not so much, again, a thing I'm doing. It's what makes me do it. That's the problem. James 1 verse 14 says it this way. You know, right? We think about temptation. Oh, if I just didn't have to deal with that. If, oh, if women just didn't dress this way. If I didn't have to go to Walmart and all these magazines. Oh, if the internet just didn't have all the filth on it. You know, I'd have no problems. That's not the problem. I used to counsel a lot of Amish people. That do away with all that stuff. And sin was rampant. Because the heart is sinful. And this verse, these verses play that out. Each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. So it's not necessarily the thing that's tempting. The problem is we want it. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Lord entice, uh, Anthony, you'd like this. It's like fishing. That's what it kind of means, like a lure. I hate fishing, by the way. <laughs> but I understand a little bit about it. But a lure, that's what attracts a fish, right? And there's different kind of lures. And all that. You would think we would get it after a while, right? Or the fish, right? <laughs> Joey, don't don't bite it. I'm telling don't remember what happened last week to your brother, remember? Anthony got him. He's in Anthony's belly now. Right? What what's up with fish? They don't 
they can't tell the difference. They keep getting lured by the same thing. We're no different, right? You think we get it after a while. Where that's leading. That thing that looks so good, we just got to have it. That thing that attracts something in us. We have to see where it leads. We have to like, no, okay, that's not good. God sees it. We see this in Romans 7 where we, we understand there's a problem inside of us. The Apostle Paul is kind of expressing this idea of there's something really wrong in me. And he, he says in verses 13 and 14, talking about the law, again, this is what Jesus is dealing with. He says, what has been good law, it's become death to me. Or has then what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that the sin through the commandment, through the law, might become exceedingly sinful. This is important. This is the problem with a lot of preaching today and evangelism. You leave that out, then sin isn't sinful. We don't understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin. There's nothing to drive us to the cross, to fling ourselves at the feet. He just becomes an add-on, a friend. Someone who's going to bless my life and just kind of, like I said, be an add-on. That's how I saw it. You know, a ticket out of hell. It's so much more than that. So much more. And Paul understood that. He says, we know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. And I'm sold under sin. And then he goes through that whole struggle, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. And, and he finishes it with, oh, what a wretched man I am. That has to happen for all of us at some point. What a wretched man I am, that it might appear as sin. So I can see it for what it really is. It's true nature. So that I could see how deep and desperate my depravity is. This is important. Because unless we have a clear understanding of the true nature of sin, we'll never understand truly the way of salvation and the message of the cross that is foolishness to those that are perishing. And we'll, we'll count the blood of Christ like a common thing and we'll trample God's grace. We won't honor it. We won't hold it in the esteem it needs to be. We won't let it teach us that it should lead to holiness and godliness. And that's where Jesus is going to go here. Again, a gospel that just says, come to Jesus. Let him be your friend. Let him give you a marvelous new life without convicting of sin. That's not a whole gospel. 
True evangelism starts by preaching the law and the sinfulness of sin. A true understanding of the nature of sin shows us that unless a person is truly born again, given a new heart and a new nature, there's no hope for him. Just joining a church, just learning how to do some outward things is not going to save his soul. He needs something radical to happen inside. And that's what the gospel does, the true gospel. Nothing less than that. And, you know, people don't like the doctrine of sin. And if they don't, they've probably never been born again. A true believer understands you must be born again. That nothing less than the death of Christ on a cross saves us and reconciles us to God. Nothing less. And anybody that's trusting in their own efforts are in for a rude awakening. And we'll see that at the whole end. That's a house that looks the same, but there's no foundation to it. And in that day of judgment, it will not stand. It's important. Now, sin is a serious issue. I know my wife was teaching the ladies through Genesis 3 where we see where it originates and just how it just permeated everything from the fall. And it, it, it is amazing when you look at Genesis 3 all the way through Genesis 4, like verse 24, and you go through those verses and you see all the results. I mean, that just immediately happened just because man rebelled against God. First, they, they lost their innocence. Guilt, fear entered in. Shame, emotional pain. Victimization, blame shifting. Verbal abuse, physical suffering, role dysfunction, job stress, rejection, separation from God, anger, depression, jealousy, sibling rivalry, murder, grief, lying, self-pity, loneliness, identity crisis. But most of all, the soiling and the staining of God's glory, God's image. We really need to understand how sin has marred everything. In that day you eat of it, you will surely die. We still don't believe that. But it's true. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Jesus understood the true nature of sin. And that's why in these next verses, he kind of gets a little extreme about dealing with it. And he says in verse 29, so if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, we understand he's not saying to do that literally. Pluck it out. Cast it from you. Because it's more profitable for you 
that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Sin is so destructive. Jesus says, again, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Get radical about dealing with it. Because it's profitable that one of your members should perish in your whole body should be cast into in hell. Sin is what destroys souls. Sin is what causes people to be separated from God for all eternity and cast into outer darkness and to suffer agony for all eternity, never to end. It's horrible sin. God understands it. It's Jesus himself talking about people being cast into hell. Jesus actually talked about hell a lot. He believed in hell and he believes in hell. And he teaches us that sin undealt with will ultimately land men and women in hell. It's a serious matter. Jesus wants us to get radical about dealing with sin. Now, I'm going to say this, okay? Because I don't want us to get in this thing of always questioning, oh, am I saved? I don't know. I still sin. Listen, if you're a true believer, you're going to do this. You're going to do what I'm talking. You're going to hate what God hates. Yeah, you're still going to struggle. Yeah, your nature is there. You're going to be in this battle until you see Jesus. We're not talking here about sinless perfection. Paul talks about a struggle in many places. Christians sin, okay? But when they do, they grieve. They get radical. It causes grief in their hearts. They can't just go on willingly sinning, habitually sinning, habitually giving themselves over to sin if they're truly born again. They get radical about it. Remember, Jesus is talking to religious people here. He's trying to help them understand just how sinful they were, even though they thought they were righteous. He was trying to point them to their only hope, which was himself. And that's what it all points to, just like we were singing today. Jesus is all my righteousness. The blood of Christ is my only hope because when I sin, I have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. He did what I couldn't do and I can go to him when I sin. And if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So to believers... Romans 6 just really becomes an exhortation or a command. Romans 6.12, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body 
that you should obey its lust. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of righteousness uh, to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Again, you see, it's all pointing always to something better. Something the law couldn't do. The law condemns. Grace gives hope. But it doesn't do away with the law. It enables us to practice it from the heart. To walk in the spirit of it. And to be changed by it from glory to glory. Because something radical has happened inside. And we're being changed inside more and more into his image. And when we see him, we're going to be like him. Grace is so powerful. And sometimes we've made it into this wishy-washy kind of thing of what it was never meant to be. Oh, God loves me, and oh, I'll just repent tomorrow. Oh, I'm so thankful for his grace. I am thankful for his grace, but his grace teaches me. Shall we continue to sin so that grace shall abound? Certainly not. Certainly not. And then in Colossians 3, 5, we're told, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked when you lived in that, with them. That's what you were. Paul in both places is calling those who profess to be in Christ to make a decisive break, as it were, to pluck the eye out, to cut the hand, to get radical with sin. All those sinful tendencies that we bring into our Christian life. Crucify it. The whole idea of putting ourselves to death indicates that we as God's people have to take severe measures in dealing with sin. But again, we're not going to do that if we don't understand its true nature. We've been in ministry for 28 years, and I'll just tell you, sin is horrible. I've seen what it did in my own life, in our lives, but in so many other lives. and Sin... Nothing good comes out of sin. Sin is horrible. That's why God hates it. It's the total opposite of what he is. It's selfish. It's based in pride. It wants what it wants at the expense of everybody around him. It's the total opposite of what God is. Because he is mercy. He loves, he chooses to lay his life down for the sake of others.
Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. In other words, don't do anything that's going to pour gasoline on the fire that's already in you. Don't ignite that thing anymore. Those passions, those desires. Um, don't give it too much food. I used to give that analogy when I used to go out. You know, you're either feeding the spirit or the flesh. Whichever one you feed is going to be stronger. So what does that mean practically? I love the one illustration a commentator gave. Because we don't think of these things. And he was talking about um, what Jesus was talking about here, about, you know, uh, he looks at a woman who's already committed adultery with her, to lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he says, oh, well, you know, some people would say, well, I would never do that. But they'll love reading news articles about divorce or this or that just to feed something in them because they're interested in that. Well, I'm not doing that. I just like reading about it. We do that with a lot of different things because there's something in us that is drawn to that. So what are we reading? Is it feeding what are we watching on TV or what kind of movies do we watch? Is it fanning anything? What do we look at on the internet? What do we do on social media? What do we listen to on the radio? Is it feeding anything? Make no provision for the flesh. What's the harm, we say? What's the big deal? You know, I think about some of the movies that have come out in the past and everyone's running to see them. What's the big deal? Everyone's watching them. Well, Jesus says if anything is going to lead you in the wrong direction, lead you into sin... You need to get rid of it. You need to run. You need to cut it off. You shouldn't be hanging around with people that want to skirt the edges. That see nothing wrong with that. You need to call it out even though they might not like you. Call you self-righteous. Poor guys used to deal with that all the time when they'd go home from the program. People, oh, what happened? What's the big deal? Oh, I remember one guy called me in tears. He says, my friends are calling me self-righteous because I don't want to go out to the clubs anymore with them. These were Christians in Brooklyn. I don't want to go to the club anymore dancing with them, and they're calling me self-righteous. He was in tears. Jesus' reply is that for the sake of the soul... Even things you value the most, like a right eye or a right hand, need to be severed, cast away from you. 
Romans 6, 12 says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but you present yourselves to God. Further down, he says, Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He's saying this like a matter of fact. Like this is what happens when you become truly born again. It's like Christianity 101. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and becoming slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God made a way for us to be delivered from the power and from the dominion of sin. That's what happened to me 28 years ago, however long it's been. And what I, you know what I realized was it wasn't the outward things I was doing. I needed something radically to change inside. We were sitting with Josh and Samantha the other day, and when you get around people that maybe you knew before salvation— it's like you're reminded, like, I'm not that guy anymore. I can't even relate to that guy anymore, talking about me. That was like another person. And I'm not thinking of the drugs I did and all the running around. I'm thinking about who I am inside. And trust me, I still got a lot of issues, okay? But I am not the same person inside. Things that I thought were funny, things that I relished in, things that didn't bother me now just like are like lightning bolts inside. There's something different. There's something, someone else residing inside. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he grieves at sin. And he's burdened for sinners. So, unless we come to that point like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, will never understand or be able to thank God for Jesus. This is key. Because the doctrine of sin 
points us to our only source of help. And it shows us to get radical with sin, to deal with sin properly, we need a power from outside of ourselves. We need an aid greater than ourselves to deliver us. So the whole idea of crucifying, mortifying the deeds of the flesh helps us to see our need for the Holy Spirit. That'll cause you to seek, knock, and pound on the door. God, I need your Holy Spirit. God, fill me. God, possess me. God, I yield myself to you. Cleanse me, oh God. Um, Just empty my vessel, Lord, that I might be filled with your power. I can't do this alone, Lord. I need your power working in me and through me, Lord. It should drive us to him. Not in despair, in faith. And I'll throw this out, not this Friday, but the next Friday. Our next Friday night, um, Glenn and Jesse will be here, and we are going to be praying for the Holy Spirit. Glenn's going to give a little teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And If you can come out, come out. Whether you've received it or not, come out. We need a greater power, especially in these days. You need to start praying. You need to come expecting God to meet with you. So I'll keep reminding you of that. God has placed an expectancy in me for more and for you guys. We need the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit's power is given to us to help us to mortify, to get radical with sin. I don't think we get radical with sin enough like we should. And I think at the root of it is a a lack of love for God. And at the root of a lack of love for God is not having an understanding of my utter sinfulness and the tremendous mercy he's had on me. Remember Jesus said he was forgiven little, loves little, he was forgiven much loves much. It wasn't that the Pharisee was forgiven little. He didn't see his need to be forgiven of much. He saw himself, not like this woman or like the the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm not like this guy. I'm pretty good. I'm good. I'm a good, upright church person. Not like this person. Who's going to love more? The one that understands. Oh no, you don't understand. I was the chief of sinners, Paul said. I was worse of the worst. But God had mercy on me. I got grace I didn't deserve. I shouldn't be here. I should be burning in hell and God would have been just. But I'm here. God's had mercy on me and I love him for it. 
I don't ever want to forget what he's done for me. I don't ever want to lose sight of that because when I do, that's when I go astray. I want to be like Paul. I'm just going to focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am determined to keep that always at the forefront because it's important. The New Testament doctrine of sin is what enables us to realize the greatness of God's love to us. We're meant to love God. We're meant to be in a relationship with him. That's why we were created. That's what we lost. That's what Jesus restores. We're not meant to just believe or learn things about him. We're called to know him. And that word knowing, I mean, that's used in in sexual intimacy, but it's really a picture of just intimacy. Knowing him. We see pictures of that throughout scripture. If we love him, then we'll hate what he hates. We'll hate the things we see that can still fester in our hearts. We'll get radical about things that we know are causing us to get away from the Lord and maybe go after things we shouldn't be going after. We don't want to sacrifice. Nothing is worth my relationship with him. Nothing is worth or worth diminishing my understanding of his love and my love for him. Nothing is worth that. Sin in you and me, we can never forget is what caused Jesus to sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane. Sin in you and me is what caused him Jesus to endure agony, suffering, and the death on the cross. And again, we can never remind ourselves of that enough. We must never forget the price that was paid for sin. For the true believer, there is no greater incentive than to fight and mortify the deeds, to get radical with sin than that understanding. If his love, if his suffering means anything to us, we're going to deal with the sin. We're going to understand that that kind of love demands our life, our soul, everything. And I'm going to finish with uh, a song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. When I survey the wondrous cross. And I just want to say, I thank God I have a gospel that tells me another who is spotless, who is pure, who is utterly holy, has taken my sin and my guilt upon his place. And for the rest of my life, I want to honor that. And that's going to cause me to be radical with sin in my life. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, 
that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things, everything this world that cries out to you, come over here, I have what you need. This is what you need. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. And Lord, I thank you that you're teaching us the greatness of what you did for us. And I pray for all of us here this morning, Lord, as we continue to seek you, we continue to believe you, God, to have your way in a greater way in all of us, to do the things that you wanted to do. Lord, help us as a body, as individuals, to see sin, to see the things that are still in our lives that need to be cut off, need to be radically dealt with so that we can be those pure vessels, Lord, that you can come and manifest your glory through, Lord. God, help us to love you with all our hearts, soul, strength, and minds, Lord. Help us to hate what you hate, Lord. Give us a better understanding not of others' sins, but our own sins, Lord. But then also give us a greater understanding of your love and your mercy and the message of the cross and what you did for us there, Lord. And Lord, I pray you would teach us when we are convicted, when sin rears his ugly head in our lives, we would run to your throne of grace. We would go to you for cleansing. We would allow your blood, Lord, to wash us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Lord. And then we would believe you for your grace and your mercy to help us, Lord to do what we can't do in our own strength, Lord. So God, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the cross. I thank you, God, for what you did for me. And I pray, God, that the realities of the cross, the wonder of the cross, will become more and more and more real to all of us, Lord, so that we would honor you with our lives, with our testimonies, so we wouldn't play around with things Lord, that aren't pleasing to you, Lord, and so that we can be used for your glory in these days that we're living, Lord. So, God, I just pray this would just be a part of us preparing the way for you 
Remove all the obstacles that are in the way, Lord. Help us to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. Again, so that you can have your way in us and through us the way you're wanting to. So I thank you, Lord, and I love you, and I'm grateful for the cross. I'm thankful for your blood. Thank you for making a way for all of us, for sinners, to come to your throne of grace. Thank you, Lord. Give us a greater understanding of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.